0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you for those that are here. Maybe has as already been prayed, glorify and honor you with our time together. May we truly worship you and focus our attention upon your word and listen to what you have to say. I pray that you would just bless our time together, bless our fellowship. And Lord, I just pray for healing for so many of our people that are out and sick and Uh, We just uh, thank you for uh, sparing um, Blaine and uh, just the situation that he was in. Lord, you are so gracious. And just allow him to be here today. We know he's gone through an ordeal. We just thank you for their faithfulness. We pray that you would bless our time in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we've been talking about the church. And normally we don't just deal with a topic. We move through... Uh, scripture, but to the past couple of months, we've been dealing with the church and giving direction and uh, and kind of vision for the church. What is the church to do? We've started off by looking first at the foundational elements of the church. And there's four things that the church that does not change, four elements that does not change in the church. I'll put them on the screen there. First of all, is uh, the church is made up of redeemed people that cannot change. That does not change. We don't bring unsaved people into the church and call it a church. It's not really a church if that, if that changes. It's also, uh, church has an accurate and high view of, of God. If you don't have an accurate and high view of God, then you're verging on uh, idolatry. That's a dangerous thing. Also, it submits to the authority and uh, teaching of Scripture. A true church will do that. And number four, it will continue to increase in holiness. If God is working in the church, there's going to be holiness that is seen. And those are core elements of the church. Things that do not change. If any of those things are absent, you really don't have a church anymore. We've also looked at the attitudes. Attitudes in the church. And um, i put those on the board. It might be a little small from where you are. These are attitudes that indicate that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. The Holy Spirit is working in our church. And Christ is changing hearts. And it's a good indication of spiritual life. Indications of spiritual life. And that's important for the church. Now, that's kind of the foundation. But the real question we will come to today is what is the church to do? What is the direction? What is the purpose? What's the big picture, the vision of the church? And I'm afraid that there's a lot of confusion about that today. A lot of people are confused about that because there's a lot of directions that the church seems to be going. A lot of things that people, that many churches are getting involved in. There's a lot of noble causes out there. From world hunger to modern day crusade to eliminating all evil from the world. I mean, those are lofty goals. But if the church is going to survive, we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And you've heard that before. The main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing for the church? What is it that we do? And for that, we have to go to Scripture. If we want to know what the main thing is, we have to go to Scripture. We don't start with the potential needs. We don't start with, well, here's our abilities and here's, um, here's our leadership abilities and here's our administrative abilities and here's what we can do. No, we, we go to Scripture and we find out what we are to do. We go to Christ, right? And find out what He says the church is to do. Because He is the one who established the church. He is the one that's growing His church to the point that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and we need to be on His side. We have to be very careful. Like Abraham Lincoln stated, the question is not whether I'm on God's side. It's he said, the question is not is God on my side. Is that he said? The question is is am I on God's side? God doesn't change. We have to be on God's side. We have to determine. What God wants for the church, we have to stick with what he establishes as the church. So the the principle is there. The principle remains. The church must be careful never to lose its identity by conforming to a world or the world's definition of the church. We cannot allow the world to formulate what the church is to do and to push us in that mold. So what is the church to do? The direction of the church. And in this passage, Jesus Christ gives us very, very clear direction. The mission of the church. And the direction of the church. Purpose of the church. So let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. First we want to look at the background. The background. Verse 16 says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, let's just stop right there. That's some good background. It's very simple, though, because all it is, is Jesus talking with his disciples. These are just common men. What qualifies them to to be a part of Jesus's church, let me give you a, a list of those things. First of all, they were designated. In fact, they were chosen by Christ. Christ is the one that handpicked these these disciples. And for three and a half years, they watched Christ's life. They saw his miracles. They saw his character in difficult situations. Then they listened to his teaching. And they were also committed. They showed up. This is just a prearranged meeting. They had already designated this, this particular place. They were going to meet with Jesus. And Judas isn't there. He didn't show up. He was not committed. And he left. They abandoned the group. Uh, turned in Christ. We know the situation there. But also, they, they worshiped Christ. They adored Christ. They knew who he was, they recognized his deity. But also there's they were also authentic here. I want you to, I just want to point this out. It says when they saw him, they worshiped him. They recognized who he was, but it says, but some were doubtful. Now I like that. And I believe that uh uh Matthew is, is just putting that in there as a as an element of realism. I mean these are just common men. They hadn't gotten it all figured out. And they were a little apprehensive. And he could be referring to Thomas there. But this is the time and the place that they were They were saying, well, Christ had this great victory. And they were anticipating the kingdom coming at this time. But they're doubtful. They're not sure what's going on. This is just realism. These are just men. They were authentic. And they were obligated as well. In fact, Christ... He designates authority to them. Jesus came to them, spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And Jesus has been given that authority, and he is now delegating that authority to these men, these eleven men. And... They now then can go into the world with complete confidence, every part of the world, every nation, every tongue and tribe, every culture, and they can build the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, of course, had that authority. We have to know a little bit about Christ here. I have to be reminded a little bit about this. Jesus had just come through the, and been victorious over the greatest spiritual battle in human history. And on the cross, He conquers death. And He conquers Satan. Or He uh, crushes Satan. And He paid the penalty for sin. And as a result, He is victorious. And He has exalted to this uh, position. He wins. And there's, they're celebrating that. They're excited about this. What's next? And now, Jesus delegates this authority to these men. You say, well, the church... Is not even mentioned in this passage. How do we know we're talking about the church? Let me show you a, a passage that you need to know. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. I want to remind you, this is a principle you already know. The church is not named in Matthew there. But in Ephesians chapter two, verse nineteen, he says, "So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household." That's the church. That's the group. That's the that's what Christ has formulated to this point. In the church at Ephesus, Paul is talking to here, and he says, "Having been built upon the." foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole body or the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God dwells in his church. And... and Paul is saying this, this church, you are being added to this church as Christ is building this, this church. You're being added to this church. And this church was built upon the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets. It is these men. It is these men that formulated the foundation of the church. They were faithful to Christ. They were obedient to Christ. And Christ, through them, established His church. That's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. This is the apostolic period, and and that foundation has been laid, and these men they will be honored. If you remember in the book of Revelation, when we were teaching through Revelation, uh, that it is these men's name that will be carved on the on the walls of the New Jerusalem. Remember that? These men will be honored. For the work that they did, that was the, the foundation. Christ, of course, being the, the cornerstone, shaping that building. But, but they have a, a foundational element to the church. That's a wonderful thing. So what is the church then? Let me give you a definition. <laughs> if you have your magnifying glass, you can take it out right now and you can maybe see that. But let me read it to you. I just threw it up there. I'm knowing you you probably couldn't read it, but uh, maybe you could take a picture and blow it up or whatever. Here's what the church is. The local church is a group of Christ redeemed people who observe the ordinances and teachings of Christ, who gather together under the oversight of godly men who who faithfully preach the word of God for the purpose of edification and who practice church discipline for the purpose of purification, it is a people who exercise spiritual gifts resulting in the discipleships of Christ's people and the expansion of the gospel to the glory of God, thereby thereby distinguishing itself as a work of Christ. It's Christ through all of this. The the church belongs to Christ. It is the church that Christ purchased with His blood. It's the most valuable thing that that Christ has on this earth is His church. He calls it His bride, His very body. That's precious. He died for us. We are His church. And that's the church. And that church was built upon the foundation of the apostles, and they, as they spoke, they prophesied out. And you, you have that prophecy in the New Testament that we we have today. Now let's just apply this quickly. Number one, are you part of God's church? Do you appreciate Christ's church? He is building His church. I had uh, I had a run in with a, a guy one time who hated. The church. He hated the uh, organized church, he said. I can worship just as well at home. He says, two or three are gathered. He said, my wife is a believer, so I keep her at home and we just worship together. He didn't really care for the church. And, and you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what uh, Vodi Bauckham, he said this. He says, if you do not love Christ's church, you do not love Christ." God, Christ takes this very seriously. How do you treat His church? Are you in or are you out? And and sometimes it's hard for me to tell. You don't know if you're committed to this church or you're not committed to this church. So that would be a a point of application. But let me give you another point of application. We have to be very, very careful. We dare not go beyond the teachings of this church. New Testament church, the teaching of these apostles and these prophets, the teaching of Christ, we have parameters. Now, I was trying to think of a good illustration of this. Sometimes we go beyond the parameters. You, you may see children, they they color and they don't stay within the lines. They go outside the parameters. But I, I think as far as adults are concerned, where we mess up, most of the time, I think, is in our parking. And I saw this last night. I saw this last night. We went to a restaurant. Mom and Dad were with us. And uh, people park on the line, don't they? They just park right there on the line. And I think, well, what? You're taking two parking spots. And it's frustrating. They, they do not adhere. Here's lines. Now, some of you know who you are. We stay within the line. There's parameters. And the parameters that Christ is setting is these. This is the foundation. These are the men that you listen to. This is the teaching that we adhere to. And we seem to have a church today that wants to progress. It's just the idea. Oh, the church is progressing, progressing, progressing. And, And I tell you, we are getting very dangerously close to going beyond Scripture. As though Scripture were not sufficient enough. And we have to go beyond that. And we have to listen to the the latest and the greatest Christian thought. As though it's being invented or or being created before our very eyes. No, we stick to what this book says. And defines the church to be. Just remind you that you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. And the sinful heart is always looking for what it wants. And, and it will go to Scripture. And it will prove from Scripture. And we find ourselves then beyond Scripture. Beyond the security. There's a danger when you're hiking, uh, especially in the snow. You have to be very careful if you're on uh, around cliffs because the snow sometimes it will extend beyond the cliff and you can be out beyond the cliff and if you're not careful, I mean you could just completely all of that is just snow. There's nothing underneath that snow can just give way and, and you can die. It's dangerous. I believe that the church today is is going beyond scripture and pushing the bounds of scripture morally. This whole idea of just well just live together, easy on divorce. It doesn't matter what you believe about evolution or creation or abortion. You're just kind of soft on everything or going beyond scripture. And what happens then is we instead of the church being built upon the foundation, the apostles and prophets, and on wisdom We trust a a young generation. We just entrust them. We just just follow them and just whatever they make up. And it seems like the church every 50 years kind of reinvents itself when you start looking at church history. And you think, why is that? This faddish kind of church that we seem to have. We have to be very careful not to go beyond the authority of Scripture. And so, by way of application, be careful what you read. Make sure that it adheres to the sound teaching and is rooted in Scripture. Because not everybody that uh, claims to be a Christian out there and claims to be writing Christian stuff is genuinely, truly believers. And if they are believers, many times they don't understand exegesis of pulling things out of Scripture, what Scripture says. They just kind of read their ideas into Scripture. And we have to be very, very careful of that. We must keep the bounds of this book. Number two. Number two, we have the mission. The mission. What is the church to do? What is the church's mission? Look at verse 19. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now there's many uh, verb forms, many commands in this passage, verbs in this passage. but the main one is make disciples. Make disciples. Every, all the other uh, verb forms here in this passage revolve around that one making disciples. That's what we do. We make disciples. A disciple is a learner. we understand that. It means a learner. It's, that's the root uh, meaning is that is a learner of then, of Jesus Christ. But that's the root element. There's actually a combination of words here to, the, to this Greek word, that implies, or that's, that has the idea of trusting in and following. You need to understand that. It's trusting in and, and following Christ. It's a continuously learning and obeying Christ. It's not just a head knowledge. Okay, well, I know all the things. I've memorized the, the, the New Testament and, and I know it all. No, it's, it's not that at all. Let me show you a couple of verses. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. This is Jesus' teaching on what it is to be a disciple. In Matthew chapter 10 verse 24... A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a slave above his master. It is enough for the, ma- for the disciple that he become like his teacher. Now that's the idea. If you wanted to be a disciple of Socrates, you would follow Socrates around. Or Pluto, or all these big name guys, and you would follow them around, and you would be like them. I want to be like him, and so I follow him around. I don't just listen to a few sermons by this guy. No, I follow him. It is enough for the disciple to be like his man. I just want to be like that. For the believer, we want to be like Christ. We want to be like Christ. That's what a disciple is. Let me give you another element to disciple him. In uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. John 8, 31, Jesus said... Um, so, Jesus was saying to these Jews who had believed, so so that they, they were at least taking this first step and believing, it was kind of a surfacey belief, and he saw through that. And he says to them, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. There's a continuation. It's a lifetime commitment. If you fall away If you're not learning from Christ, if you're not following Christ anymore, then then can you call yourself a disciple of Christ? We've got a couple of things actually wrong with this. Sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really a disciple of Christ. That's just that's not biblical at all. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Number two, we tend to just stop right there at being a Christian. And we tend to think that, that salvation is, is just a ticket to heaven and we, we just stop. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is a constant, continuous pattern of your life. That you're you're moving toward Christ-likeness. Now, let's apply this to the church. How does this affect the church? Because here's what happened. The main mission is the disciple-making. We're disciple-making factory in this church we make disciples that's what we do now the church wants to force us into its role into what it defines us to be the world wants us to be just a best friend okay let's just be best friends of the world we we give advice we give counseling we do this counseling role and so we have uh, AA meetings uh, maybe support groups drug abuse center divorce care kind of self help groups. We just basically are giving we're just coming alongside the world, giving the world answers. There's a danger to that, right? And I've said this before. We're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. They're going to die in their sins and we're just going to give them advice. And I think sometimes we just skip over the repentance part and the faith part, commitment to Christ part. And we just go straight to the biblical principles. Oh, here's what you need to do. We'll figure out your. We've got your life figured out, and that's foolish. That, that's casting of pearls before swine. We, the church, the world needs. The world needs Christ. We will never friend people into heaven. It only comes through the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. It only comes by us making disciples. Now, should we do some of those things? Those are noble things. Those are good things. But we use those things to share Christ. Number two, the the world sees us sometimes as the enemy. And many times the church sees the world as the enemy. And we're fighting against the the world. And it's us against them. And we're fighting this culture wars of Christian. Rights and, and abortion and social justice and the church winds up looking more like a political action group. And I've seen many churches like that. These things are important. But the world is not the enemy. The world is not the enemy. The world is the mission field. Another thing is, is the world tends to force us into this mold or, or we tend to look at the world as, um, as we are the mother. And we have to meet all of the needs of the world. So we come alongside and we do the homeless shelters and the food pantries and the coat closets. And, and all of the social activities because we want to show them love. And, and that's good. It's good. We, we do love people. Jesus loved people. But when the church becomes like a a community center and Christ is not mentioned, there's a problem. We are to be we are to be loving. We're to do those loving acts. And I believe those are more on an individual basis when we penetrate, when we go into the community. I believe those are more on an individual basis. But we always, always, always present Christ which the gospel that's going to change people. Not just love. Not just love. Many churches just stop right there. We're just going to show the love of Christ. But they never present the gospel of Christ. And then number four, entertainment. The world just kind of sees us as a... They see a worship service and say, man, that's that's pretty good speaker there. That's pretty good music. And so they, they kind of rush into the world and that's, uh, that's what they see. Producing good vocalists. Producing good com- comedians. Producing good... Entertaining speakers. The church then just becomes a social club. A, a country club. We just become entertainment for the world. That's foolish. The, the way the world needs to see us. Is that we are in the world. But not of the world. We are distinct from the world. We are here. We don't leave the world. We don't isolate ourselves from the world. But we are distinct from the world. We are an example to the world. We are a light. We are a city. We are salt. We are we're, we're a city that sat on a hill, Christ said, "We are the example for the world, and we have authority to do that, folks, because we have been grounded in what is good." I am going to keep coming back to that. We're to teach what is good, and we're grounded in that. We know what is good, and so we live out what is good, and so we're an example, an example to the world, and we we do that to lift up. Hope, there is hope to this hopeless world. or Hope to this hopeless world. But it's only through Christ. So we're constantly promoting Christ, constantly pushing Christ, constantly pushing or pointing to the grace of God in Christ, continuously proclaiming the hope in Christ alone. Folks, that's all we have. That's really what we have to offer the world is the gospel. Unless let me illustrate this: the hospital has a lot of needs, right? You go to the hospital and you see, man, it takes a lot of people. And the doctor, he can go into a patient's room and he can say, "Hey, man, that uh, that those linens, those sheets, they need to be changed. I'll do that." I'll Take those sheets off. And he takes the sheets down to the laundry room. And he, he says, man, there's a lot of laundry down here. I'll just do the laundry. And then he, on his way down, he sees the floor. And I'll just mop the floors too. There's a, a lot of needs in the hospital. But the need of the hospital is what? A doctor. You have to have a, a doctor in the hospital. He, he shouldn't be doing all of these other things. Their needs are, they're good things. They're good things to do. But somebody else needs to do them. Hospital needs a doctor, a courtroom needs a judge, right? You've got a, a stenographer, a bailiff, a, maybe a court reporter in the in the courtroom, but the court needs a judge. You have to have a judge to be able to decide, make the right decisions. The world, folks, needs a church to give truth. The world needs disciple making entity or a factory and that's the main thing we need to keep the main thing the main thing if we don't we will lose our identity we'll be swallowed up in all of these good noble things and will not be known for producing disciples of Jesus Christ and so just by way of application just a quick question and we'll move on are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? So we've seen the background, the mission. Let's look at the implications here. Go back to uh, Matthew chapter 28. There's three more verbs here, or verb forms. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples to all the of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. There's three words, three verbs here I just want to point out. Go. Um, Now this revolves around the making disciples, but it it literally means having gone. It's not so much a command. We see it in the way it's portrayed in in English. It's a it's a command, but it's not so much a command. It's an assumption. The assumption is that the church is going to go. They're not going to just stay stay in Jerusalem or stay in this on this mountain. But they're going to go. And that's what Jesus told. Go into all the world. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. They're going to go. That's the assumption. We go. You could translate it. Maybe wherever you find yourself. Everywhere the church spreads, the church is perpetually making disciples. That's the idea. And the church went. That's what we see. And we look at Church history, we look at the book of Acts and you see the church going. Let me just point out here. We do not just wait for the world to come to us. We have to go. We have to go to the world. We don't set up a big, beautiful church service, make a good worship service. Where we, then we invite the world in. It's just not the pattern. He says, go. As you're going, make disciples. Go. Go into the world. And he says, baptizing. Baptizing. There's a couple of elements there. There's a cleansing element of that baptism that's more of the spiritual element. But baptism is an identification, identification with Christ, with His church. And it's an, ordinances, it's an ordinance of Christ. And here's the pictures. As the people respond to the gospel or the message, then we evaluate that and say, yes, God has worked in your heart. We see that. There's evidence of that. We want you to come into the church. We welcome you into the church. And they identify themselves with the church through baptism. It's a wonderful thing. The church does that. And then the last one is teaching them. Teaching them to observe. And that's where the discipleship comes in. That's where the discipleship comes in. The, the focus of the church is primarily teaching agent. We're producing disciples of Jesus Christ, learners of Jesus Christ. And, and it shapes us. This teaching shapes us. It defines who we are. It, it, is, it, it equips us. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Teach the word. Paul told Colossian church, he says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Why is that so important? Why is it so important? Just by way of application, we need to understand that how important that is. It's so important because it's our label, folks. So many people, when they hear of a church, oh, what does that church believe? what does that church teach what what is unique about that church and that, that's kind of what they're saying good illustration is this is just labels we use labels all the time you have nike commercials and they, you see their label and you have and when i when i say a, a particular brand name or a label certain things come to mind don't they when you say rolex certain things come to mind you say ford good dependable trucks come to mind right or Calvin Klein, or Apple Computer, or McDonald's. You, Those are labels, right? And things come to mind. Amazon. Their packages sing to you. It's amazing. When you get those packages. What does the church teach? That teaching, folks, that identifies us. We need to understand how important that is. What we believe determines our destiny. That's how important it is. What we hold to, it determines the decisions that we make here. And what we believe, it determines our eternal destiny. That's how important it is. All we have, folks, is our teaching. It's something that we inherit from church history. It's something we inherit. It's entrusted to the church. It's our teaching. It's what we feed on. It's what sustains us. It's what comforts us. It's what gives us peace. It's the ammunition that we have to fight against sin in our own heart. It's the ammunition that we fight against Satan. It's the ammunition that we have to fight against the world. It's what we meditate on. It's our peace. And it's something that we will pass on to our children. It's what we teach. It's what we live out. I love what Proverbs says, Proverbs, uh, Solomon, in his wisdom, Solomon 23, uh, Proverbs uh, 23, verse 7, he says, As a man thinks in himself, in his own heart, so is he. We become our teaching. We become our ideas. And if our ideas are to become like Christ, we focus on Christ. If we want to become like Christ, all of our ideas are saturated. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, and then you will become like Christ. It becomes who we are, our very identity. That's what a disciple is. Oh, that's just a little Christ. It's a little Christ. So that we we do not operate out of the flesh, out of Carl Dingus anymore. I'm under the influence of the of the Holy Spirit's teaching. And He just becomes like Christ. And that's what the church is producing. And it does so by teaching. By teaching. The church must be very, very careful not to lose its identity by the conforming to the world's definition, world's understanding of the church. Now let, let me just apply this just very quickly. Number one we have to commit ourselves to a couple things here number 1 is as we stop chasing contemporary christianity we just think that the answers out there it's not folks most churches have to go beyond scripture just to get people's attention these days and many times they go beyond what they know from scripture and, and so often we're just we 're just chasing after the latest fad, the latest contemporary thought it 's faddish, and number two we 've got to discover what the church really is we 've got to understand what the church teaches this word teaches us it informs us now Christ is very clear on this this is not this is not something that 's Well, you know, maybe it's a secondary purpose of the church. No, it's the primary purpose of the church. It's the main thing that the church does. We have to be very careful that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You. Thank You for this Word. I pray, Lord, that it would instruct our hearts, that it would shape our thinking, shape our worldview, that we have the right perspective on things. And Lord, may we, um, may we be careful to maintain our identity as a church, as a disciple-making factory, if you will. And Lord, may we be faithful to do that. May we glorify you in producing little Christs. And Lord, may we be changed in that process as well.